Cool. OC and Z show. That's what we'll call it for now. Chia. I'm Sean O'Connell. We're not going to come up with a better one. I'm Sean O'Connell. That's Zachariah. He doesn't like me to use his last name. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Which is, it's odd. Prince out here. You see my purple bandana? I know this is an audio-only format, but uh, we should start releasing this video style because, I mean, I don't know how you feel about yourself, but I'm pretty I'm pretty light on the eyes, you know what I mean? Well, we've had this conversation before. We need to release the video portion so we can run a poll on who's more attractive and that I will win it and put the debate to, to bed forever. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to crush. You know what? I actually don't want to do that because I feel bad about how the numbers are going to come back. It's going to be like 80-20. You know what else we should do next time you're in the Bay Area? In my favor, yes. No, 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 no. 80-20 in my favor. But next time you're in the Bay Area and things get normal, my dad actually did this, God rest his soul, with his best friend. They got one of those cartoon pictures drawn by, you know, like the where it's like extreme, you know. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know what it's called. Cartoonist, whatever. Yeah, and they, a, car- and they, a caricature. Yeah, and they, they took the picture, and they walked down San Francisco all up and down the Embarcadero, like all like by Pier 39. They went all the way from like where the Giants baseball stadium is all the way to like Fisherman's Wharf, and they just asked women as they went by. They didn't ask them between them two. They, sh- they showed them the picture and said, <laughs> which of those two are more attractive? <laughs> and they both swear the other one won. Of course. That's actually a good idea because those caricature artists – they pick out like your most prominent features and then they just go bananas with them. Yeah. Mine would be the ears for sure. <laughs> oh man. Good start to the show. Oh, that, that's yeah. Well, when we get back to the normal lifestyle after Corona, post Corona. Yeah. Post Corona. So the, the format we decided on in launching this podcast when there's no sports, the stupidest time to launch, launch a sports podcast. I disagree. Um, it's, it's when you show how good yeah. you are. This is the yeah. best time to launch a podcast. Okay. Well, whatever you say. Okay. But the format we've decided on, at least for now, is we're going to start with a little Corona news, and then we're going to get to sports, and then you're going to suggest uh, usually tasteless things for people to watch at the end of the show. So <laughs> Hang on real quick. I, I need to make this correction. I made it yesterday. I have to make it again today. We're not giving Corona news. We're not going to like update you on the amount of deaths or whether or not they've found a cure. It's just something about the Rona. Okay, it's something about, about the Rona, and I got something. I got something, unless you do. I had something yesterday, but I got something again today. No, we can each come to the table with something. I want to know what you have about the Rona. Okay, and this is going to be. See, this is where you and I are a good yin and yang because you keep me in line. You yin, prevent yin and yang, not yin, yin and yang. Yin and yang, yeah. Well, see, I often mess stuff up. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You come in and you and you straighten the boat. I'm over there just, you know, capsizing all over the rapids, and then you come in and you steer the boat. That's Um, right. Actual survival depends on me, and just random willy-nilly tomfoolery depends on you. Okay, so what do you got with the Rona? Basically, I'm fun, and and you're the one making sure we don't die. Okay, so I'm going to be as delicate as I can with this. All right. And I want to preface this by saying, and I know everybody says anytime you say no offense, but you're going to inevitably offend every word after. But is what you actually have to listen to. Okay, but but I would like to say that I would like to preface this by saying I'm not trying to offend anybody and I'm very sensitive to everything that's going on. Okay, I am not not aware of how horrible all of this is and that awareness is great and all that. But here's my take on the Rona for Friday. Okay. 
I am tired of these commercials that talk about the Rona. I want to feel normal when I'm watching TV. I don't need Pizza Hut or whatever telling me that they're thinking of us in this time and that this is the time. Everybody is just talking about it. Like, just give me a normal Pizza Hut commercial. I don't even know why I'm picking Pizza Hut. I don't even know if they've done it. But I'm just talking about all these commercials out there where everything is focused on the Rona. I want to see a normal commercial. Just show me a guy getting a delivery, and he gets the pizza, and he smiles, and he's with his family, and then boom, Pizza Hut, bias. I don't need to hear, like, in these horrible times. We need pe- people need pizza, too, and all these restaurants are struggling. I don't need to be reminded of it constantly, OC. Yeah, no, the uh, the sort of, like, pandering of corporate America to the sensitivities of the viewing audience is exactly. one of the most annoying things in the world. And how every how every company, by the way, that you ever gave your email address to has sent you an email about this is what Bed Bath & Beyond is doing to handle coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. The safety yeah. of our customers and employees is of yeah. amount importance. It's like, uh, look, just give me that coconut lime verbena soap and shut up. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> well, also, the more they try to make it look like they care, the less I believe them, and I think that they're just trying to get money. But, like, if you really cared, less is more. You know, it's like if you do a charitable act, you don't put it on your Instagram live story. Hey, I gave this sweater to this homeless guy. Like, I did that. I'm saying it right now as an example, but I'm just saying, I didn't put that on Instagram. I didn't flaunt it to the world that I did it. I just gave, I had a sweater that had like, you know, a hole in it or whatever, and it was a nice sweater, Banana Republic, and I just gave it to a homeless guy because I wasn't going to wear it anymore. But I didn't put that on my Instagram. So what I'm saying is with all these commercials, the more that they're talking about how much they care and how horrible everything is out there, the less I believe you and I think you're just trying to get money. It's uh, what, what's the uh, the term for it is is virtue signaling, right? That's what it's called. Where okay. you just I never heard that. You express your outrage over something just to show to everyone how more how much more <laughs> virtuous you are than them. Yeah, these exactly. Companies, these companies are just like. We want you to know that here at McDonald's, we care about human beings. That's <laughs> yeah. why we've been feeding you poison for five decades. It just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I just want to feel, you know, everybody's looking for normal, whether it's taking a walk or, you know, like, by the way, you totally flaked on the Zoom. We'll get to that later when we talk about the draft, yeah. but I just want to get some sort of normal. And when I'm watching TV, I don't need to be, look. I purposely, I mean, I watch the news a little bit, so I'm at least a little bit informed, but I purposely avoid that so that I can try to get some sort of normalcy, but I can't get it when every single commercial, they lead with, we're in a disaster. <laughs> this is all terrible, but Roundtable still needs you to come by, buy some people. <laughs> but we still got crazy bread at Little Caesars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, anyways, that's Real my Rona quick. rant. No, that's what we'll call it. We'll call it a Rona rant. Okay, the Rona rant. Real quick for me on the Rona rant. Okay. Uh, question, it's a question for you, all right? All right. I'm going to list some countries for you. I, I want you to ponder which one you would like to visit most. Which one sounds like the most appealing destination for you to take, we'll say like a two-week – no, we'll say a one-week vacation. Two weeks is a long time to spend anywhere, okay? Close okay. your eyes and picture all of these countries, okay? All right. I'm going to give you a list. Comoros. Kiribati, Lesotho, the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, North Korea, Palau, Samoa, Sao Tome and Principe, the Solomon Islands, South Sudan, Tajikistan, Tonga, Turkmenistan, Tuvalu, Vanuatu, and Yemen. 
you can take a trip to any one of those places, which one are you going to? God, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not North Korea? Yeah, it's not North Korea and it's not Yemen. Okay. Uh, I'll take the I'll take the first islands one, whichever the first islands one was. I was closing my eyes, so I wasn't writing anything down. The Marshall Islands. You want to go to the Marshall Islands? Mar- yeah, that's where I okay. want to go. Marshall Islands, great. You can go. Uh, you can go find some hammerhead sharks. You can go. Nice. Uh, yeah, you can fish with coconuts over there. Like it's a good idea. Okay. The common thread, all of those countries, no Rona. Really? Yeah, no Rona in those places. Like literally none. Like well, not one case. Well, North Korea. I mean, <laughs> they're, they probably, lying. <laughs> they're either they're either lying or they, you know, since they isolate themselves, they potentially could have isolated completely from the virus and spreading. Huh. A huh. lot of these are island nations. If you, you know, shut down shipping uh, and immigration yeah. early yeah. enough. Right. Yeah. And, and I know people are going to be like, well, actually, they just don't have adequate testing. That's why they don't know it's Corona. Look, OK, fine. But these so are was, the, was that was that the was that the scientist from The Simpsons? <laughs> sure. I could be the, the, hey, the, the hey. <laughs> I know that there are people that are going to listen to this and just be like, I'm sure they've had at least one case, but they didn't know. OK, fine. But, yeah. <laughs> these are the official official numbers that zero cases, right? Okay. Interestingly enough, Lesotho, spelled Lesotho, but it's pr- pronounced Lesotho. Uh-huh. It's an island nation, but it's an island inside of South Africa. Did you know that? It's, com- it's surrounded on all sides by South Africa. No, I did not know that. Yeah, it's like a mountain kingdom in the northeast corner of South Africa. So yeah. they're like an island, but they're like a land-bound island. But apparently no official cases there. So. Huh. That's that's my Rona rant. Hey, good news. There's 18 countries on planet Earth that don't have any cases. So if you <laughs> yeah. really want, if you really want to escape, you go to one of those. Yeah, except you might bring it. Rona. No, don't take the Rona with you. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't be like the Spanish conquistadors. <laughs> that's the problem. You might bring it. All right. Let's get to the draft. First round. Let's of the do NFL. it. That, by the way, just well, first of all, I uh, for <clears throat> not that I have any favorite team. Uh, but I am very, very. You don't have a favorite team. No, 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 no. You know me. I'm, I'm very impartial. I'm professional. I'm a broadcaster. You know, no, uh, what is it? No, um, no applause in the clubhouse. No, no cheering in the, in the, in the in press the, box. In the press box. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was very happy with the fifth pick. Uh, let's just say that I woke up and had to pinch myself and make sure that it was still true. Two it to the fins, baby. Two it to the fins. Yeah, and no. The, the, the main reason why I'm clapping other than that is that I can't believe how successful that went. I mean, there were some glitches here and there, and there were some awkward moments with Trey Wingo and the commissioner, Roger Goodell, who basically was playing like game show host for the day. I mean, <laughs> Roger Goodell turning back to his screen. He's like, hey, come on, guys. You can do better than that. Come on. Let's go, guys. Just <laughs> Roger, please. Yeah, you know what they should have had? They should have had somebody else doing like the game show hosting duties and then just had Goodell next to him reading the picks because Goodell does not have enough sense of humor or swag to like the man has zero charisma he is a he's a business robot exactly come on guys Bud Light Seltzer you can boo harder than that (laughs) everything was so stiff like he needed like a he needed a smooth guy like they should have had Reese Davis with Roger Goodell, and then Reese Davis doing all the ins and outs, and then Goodell just kind of reading the reading don't the pick. I don't want like give me a real hype man, okay? Give me like Flavor Flav next to Roger Goodell. <laughs> no, because he's got to be a host, maybe like Steve Harvey or something. 
<laughs> okay, yeah. I like Steve Harvey. That'd be great. Hey, you know what would be amazing? Have Roger Goodell and Steve Harvey both try and read some of those names. Because I don't know how you could be commissioner of the NFL and mispronounce names as much as that guy does. The draft no, pick. Can, no, you imagine, no. can you imagine being a first-round draft pick, right? Your lifelong dream is coming true, and the guy who actually reads your name doesn't know how to pronounce it? Yeah, I had some phonetics on the card. I know that. I mean, I used to do updates at, uh, you know, at the radio station and anytime it was a name that was tough and I was about to do the, you know, you only have like a minute and a half or whatever. I would just write it out how it sounds. Like you said, phonetically, how did he not have every potential first and second round draft pick spelled out on like a cue card? You're, you're. You know how many billions of dollars your corporation is worth? How can you not do something as simple as an index card? I was there not just an intern whose job it is to coach him up on pronunciation. You don't have to pay somebody that. Somebody would do it for free just to be able to put it on their resume. Like, I did the index cards phonetically for Roger Goodell for the 2020 draft. Somebody would have done that gladly for free. And by the way, it's not even like obscure players, right? If we're talking about a mispronunciation of a seventh round guy, that's fine. He mispronounced Tua Tango by Loa. He didn't <laughs> say it right. I know. We've been saying that name for four years and he doesn't know how to say it. I know. <laughs> that part was bad, but overall. Caleb Von Chason gets drafted in the first round and he's like, Clavon. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You know what? This yeah, oh. it was pretty bad. But in general, didn't you think that there was going to be a lot more mishaps? I was pretty surprised how how smoothly it went. Oh man, it is. It's a testament to the the times we live in now, to the ability of a lot of people to make. There's a lot of moving parts, and people can make things work. And yeah, there was a couple of hiccups where people talked over each other, but that happens on a radio show. That happens on set. That happens in personal conversation. For so, sure. You can't hate on any of that. Um, honestly, the only loophole that they forgot about and they missed out on is those damn index cards with proper pronunciation. Which, Everything else ran well. Which is just crazy. I would think, let's just say in some sort of fantasy world, they said OC and Z are going to host the entire draft. Yeah. Don't you think the first thing, if, if me and you were just brainstorming, and we're like, all right, how are we going to do this? We gotta, we gotta do the ins and outs. We gotta do the Bud Light seltzer booing thing or whatever. We gotta like toss to these people, whatever. But then like, we would hit a point in our preparation, even if, even if we only prepped half an hour. If we only prepped for half an hour, we would hit a point where you would be like, well, we definitely need to make sure we get all the names right. So let's write them all out phonetically. I mean, especially with me. I'm the guy that said a kid to live in an update (laughs) only because Greg Papa screwed with me and messed me up. But, you know, I mean, that would definitely come up. Yeah, no, it would. If you you didn't bring it up, I would bring it up. And we're talking about billions of dollars in a corporation, and they just completely – they were just like, ah, yeah, we'll figure it out. I'll just read the name when I see it, huh? So I'm lucky enough I get to do play-by-play now on fight broadcasts, right, on professional fighters league broadcasts and stuff. And we have guys – we have guys from Dagestan. We had a guy from Tajikistan this past year. We had a couple French guys. Like, there's some names that are not super easy to pronounce, right? Yeah. Uh, we had a big Samoan guy who fought for us that you got to get coached on those things. But, again, with modern technology, it's incredible. It's so easy to find out. If you don't know how to spell, how to pronounce Tua's name or Caleb on Chason's name or anyone in the draft's name, 
you can literally just call them or you can call the school they attended and they have recordings of guys pronouncing their own names. That's how they do it for the media guides now. The players yeah. come in and they say, pronounce your name five times, we're going to record it. I've never seen the guys actually saying their own name, but I have gone online before and they have like audio on YouTube or whatever media player where they have the way that you say it so that you can hear it. And then you can write it down however you want to see it. Anyways, real quick, I want to do an aside just to give you a little plug, even though I hate to give you props. For the audience out there, Sean O'Connell won the PFL, won a million dollars. And yep. now I didn't know this. I was just watching. This was just random. This was like, I don't know, Saturday afternoon at like 4 p.m. And I had no idea. Now, Sean told me it makes sense. He won the PFL as a fighter, and he's done sports broadcasting. So it makes sense that he would jump in on the PFL broadcasting tip. And he told me that he was involved with them. But I didn't know to the extent. Sean O'Connell is the Joe Tessitore of the PFL. He's literally like the main. He didn't tell me that. He was like, "Yeah, I'm no doing told stuff you that. PFL." They told you that. You just don't pay attention. No, no Sean, I would have, I would have paid attention. To, and when I call you Sean, you know I'm being serious. That's Sean, <laughs> Sean, I would have remembered if you had told me that you were the Joe Tessitore of PFL. Okay, I, I should have no put idea. it in those terms. You're the puppet master, man. You're That's you're right. out there. You're, you're the host. You are the Joe Tessitore of the PFL. That's fine. Yeah, I should have put it in those terms. Let's get back to this draft because let's do it. I loved it, by the way, and I think whether we get back to normal normalcy or not, I want all drafts to go down like this. We got to see homes of all these coaches and GMs. I was thoroughly entertained. I don't need you to be in some huge stadium in Philadelphia or oh, Vegas man. or New York or whatever. Give no, me gotta- all these people's homes. I had oh. so much fun last night. I was so sorely disappointed in a lot of those GMs and coaches. Kyle Kingsbury was flexing on everyone with the picture he put out today. Like, the man's got style. So, that like, did so you, see Pete, you see Pete Carroll's house? Pete Carroll's house is every one of my friends' parents' houses I grew up going to. And I'm just like, what the hell, Pete? <laughs> you were making yeah. millions of dollars for two decades, and that's that's what we get for the background? Come yeah, on, that was pretty bad. I mean, there were some disappointments. McCarthy's was just pathetic. He had like Gatorade cups for his pen holder. Yeah. He had, he, it looked like a, you know what it looked like? I, I went to uh, Santa Barbara City College. It looked like a dorm room when I was down there. That's basically what his, and he was like one of those old people where his head was like 95% of the shot. He was way too into the thing. Yes. And you know it's because he just set it up once and there was no adjustments after that. No, no, he wasn't I, I don't get why these people I don't get why these people don't ask their millennial kids to help them set it up to make it look nice. Kingsbury was flexing. He looked like the bachelor of all bachelors. Yeah, that guy's living a, an interesting and an entertaining life down there right now. We can guarantee you that. But, yeah, look, go, we'll go back to normal life, and we'll get the draft and the live fans and all that stuff. But they did a good job here. And you don't the- like it? You're not with me on thinking that it should be like no. this every year? No, no. Did you see the drapes in the Borough household? Dude, why do I need to see those drapes? The, how, about saw, Jerry, how about Jerry Jones on the yacht? How are, How do you not want it to be like this every year? Well, because we know Jerry Jones has a yacht. I don't need to know that Jerry Jones is rich, okay? What we didn't get and is one of my favorite parts of the draft every year, the fashion show. These dudes usually get the sick 
custom suits done with the custom silk lining. Tua's the only one who flexed like that. He's the only one who showed off his suit. And he had family pictures sewn into the silk lining. Everyone else was just sitting around in their house. And, yeah, you know? I mean, I, I'm with you, but if you've seen one custom suit with the lining or whatever, you've seen them all. For me, I like seeing... Spoken like a true charlatan with no fashion sense. I like seeing different things. And, you know, some people being bummy, some people doing it up. I mean, I don't know. I thought it was... I don't know. To well, me, wait. to me, it's all a lot more interesting than even in Philly, which I thought was great. The fans were crazy. It was bananas. It's still just one thing. With this, you have all, you know, you have 30, 60, 90 different areas and, and outfits and scenarios. And like there was the dude taking it. It's everyone just sitting in their living room. Who cares? I know, but it's all different and interesting. Did you see the dude dropping a deuce at, at Vrabel's house? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how about there was one player who's sitting and there was like superheroes painted on the back. I think they were in a home gym or something. There's uh-huh. like Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman on the wall. Like that was all right. But yeah. anyway, the, the picks themselves. On, on. One more on the, on the people's houses. Gus Malzone's house was incredible. By incredible, I mean bizarre. <laughs> and then, did you see what Sean Payton did? No. So, he's still pissed about Bounty Gate. Sean Payton. 2012, put, the Saints went 7-9, and nine, third in their own damn division. Aaron Cromer stepped in and Joe Vitt. Aaron Cromer and Joe Vitt co-coached. <laughs> Good knowledge. Good knowledge. Okay, I say all that because Sean Payton stuck it to the NFL because he's still pissed about the Bounty Gate. He put products of everything that goes against the nfl so the nfl sponsored by pepsi he had some coke stuff the nfl sponsored by x he had y he had all of that in his screen to stick it to the nfl now that is good stuff that is just passive aggressive i love love it's it's as petty as it gets but i would do it i i I don't even know if i'd be able to think of it but if i did think of it i would do it that was genius Okay, OC and Z evaluating the draft. Let's get to the actual picks that excited you or that did not. Joe Burrow goes one, just like we thought. Chase Young, two, just like we thought. Jeff Okuda goes three, just like we thought. Although I would not have been surprised if Matt Patricia deviated and went Isaiah Simmons there. Well, that's uh, that's kind of what we wanted. I think it's what they should have done. We talked about this yesterday. I think it's risky taking a corner third overall. But if he is what you kind of alluded to yesterday, if he is the Deion Sanders, if he is a Josh Norman or, you know, a Darrell Revis, if he is one of those guys, then it is worth it. I just, I don't know that I'd roll the dice like that. The dude had no penalties against him all last year. That's incredible. None. That's incredible. I mean, he's a, he's an excellent player. So it'll work out. I think it'll work out. The way they grade him in the NFL draft profile, like the expectation, the bar for him is he's supposed to be a pro bowler. If he doesn't, then you shouldn't have drafted him at three. But yeah. uh, And then, you know, the first deviation, a lot of people thought Wirfs or Jedrick Wills were the top tackles in this draft. But the New York Giants decided to go O-line. They took Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. So that kind of interrupted some things. And then 
number five, the Finns, after all that conversation about potentially moving up, all that conversation about, hey, let's draft a, a top offensive lineman instead of going quarterback here. Oh, God, I was so scared, OC. I was all that ready. just smoke signals trying to distract everybody, and the Miami Dolphins picked to a Tonga by Loa. Yeah, I was so scared. I was reading all these reports that they were going to take Herbert. That, And I know you said yesterday you would have took Herbert over Tua, but I'm so happy that the Dolphins took Tua. I was reading the reports that, yeah, they were going to trade up. First of all, they tried, and this is confirmed, they tried to trade with the Bengals to get number one, and the Bengals told them to kick rocks. But then the second report was they were going to trade up to take an offensive lineman, which would have made me puke. And then the next report was that they were going to take Herbert over to it, which would have made me puke. But they ended up taking Tua real quickly on the Giants. And I know I don't want to go back down the rabbit hole of GMs and coaches' backgrounds, but Gettleman's was hilarious. He looked like he was in like a submarine basement. He had the mask on, which we can't really laugh at because he's got some health complications. And I guess there was an IT guy there, so he was doing it because of that. But it was just funny to see him with a mask all by himself because you didn't know that there was an IT guy there. But yeah, I mean, I guess they mixed it up there, picking Andrew Thomas. But it wasn't that big of a stretch, right? What was he considered, like the, the second or third best tackle? Well, obviously for the Giants, he was considered the best tackle. The yeah. the thing that people have him, like Jedrick Wills, they look at that guy and they say, this dude's a freak athlete, right? Mm-hmm. But he played right tackle. And do you want to try and move a right tackle to left tackle or whatever? That's, you know, it's not a good idea. And then Werps, the Iowa kid, was a multi-sport athlete. They're, they're all considered better athletes, potentially, than uh, Thomas is, but... At the end of the day, you got to go with the guy that you like. And if we're talking about, well, is this the difference between, you know, having Joe Thomas and Joe Staley? Either way, it's a good pick, you know. Yeah, I got you. I got you. And then in terms of uh, in terms of Tua, the talk now obviously because nobody can sit and reflect on what happened just 12 hours ago. The talk now is whether or not he should even sniff the field this year uh if he's 100%. There's a lot of people saying just no matter what, even if he's 100% healthy, do not let him see the field. And then there's some people that say, well, if he's good to go, put him out there. Where are you at on that? Would you redshirt him? Probably, right? I mean, this is a guy who's had two seasons interrupted by surgeries, interrupted by injuries and surgeries. You're going to try and rush him back to the field in a division where well, you're not, not going to. Hang on, hang on, hang on. OC, not rush. It would be if he's 100%. Yeah, well. That's a different conversation, right? Yeah. But the idea that you're going to ask him to get back out on the field and you're going to ask him to play where he's a month removed from finally getting back to 100%, or you can let him sort of ease his way in, develop all the muscle memory again. I mean, medically I'm, 100%. Medically just, so 100% know, just so you know, I'm with you. I, I, I think no matter what – even if he's 100%, like you said, muscle memory or whatever it is. Like, you'll feel a lot better with him starting week one in 2021 than you will him starting week one in 2020. So I'm with you. But there are people that are of the line of thinking that if he's good to go, why not put him out there? Like, what's the point? But I'm with you. I mean, I would wait a year. If you feel like this is a year or next year even is a year where you're ready to contend when your division do all that stuff, then you want the grooming process to go as quickly as possible with Tua, and that means giving him some live game reps. But I'm not putting that guy back out there uh, unless I'm sure that that's the direction I want to head. By the way, 
the Dolphins, if they've just decided that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be their backup, that's a backup that can win you football games. So a, a starter for eight games while Tua kind of eases his way back in, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I don't know if I start him week one. We don't even know if week one's going to start on time, but I probably would let the kid ease his way into the NFL because we've yeah. seen even some really, really top-flight picks when you throw them into the fire right away, it's rare. It's you're a big proponent rare. of this. You're a big proponent of this. What? Just, I mean, you seem to be very sensitive about put, taking quarterbacks and putting them in bad NFL situations. Like you seem it's, to be re- really worried about that. Yeah, because it it but look ruins at Peyton Manning. players. Look at, but look at Peyton Manning. He had a horrible year, th- three and thirteen. Next year they go thirteen and three. So was it bad? Was it bad for them to throw him to the fire? No, it, it wasn't. Right. He I had, mean, obviously he has, that, record, he has the record for most interceptions by a rookie quarterback. Look, and that's that's an example of that clearly contradicts what I'm trying to say. But that is a that is the rarity. You don't have a lot of examples of that. The exception to the norm. Absolutely. You don't. Okay. It's just not. That's not typically what happens. So, well, yeah. Also, also in Miami, you have Josh Rosen, which is an example of when that goes poorly because he was thrown to the fire in Arizona and didn't last more than a year. And I'll say this: Alex Smith was a guy. He's the best player, football player I've ever been around. We were teammates at the University of Utah. He's the best football player I've ever been around. The dude is a genius. Can like you get him really, on the cast? Probably not. He's a super smart guy. He's unbelievable athlete and football player. And he was drafted number one overall, and he was thrown into the fire. He got sacked more in his first two years than any other quarterback up to that point had ever been sacked. More than David Carr? I said up to that point. Oh, gotcha. And he just got murdered, right? Just got killed. And there's no one who can tell me that that didn't affect his long-term career or his confidence long-term. It took seven years before he finally like rebuilt the ability to win football games because you get conditioned to be good. You can get conditioned to lose. You get conditioned to win. You can be conditioned to lose. And, and we talked about this on the podcast yesterday Tua Tagovailoa is not going to the Alabama of the NFL. The Miami dolphins are what they are. He's going to a place called the Mississippi state. Yeah. They can win. Yeah. And they're, they're going to get better. Because they, they, I think they did a good job in the draft, but it's not going to be this year. So you got to decide what you want to do with Tua. I, I'm trying to keep him healthy, and I'm listening to my training staff and my doctors about, okay, well, the bones are all healed, everything's tight, but is it, is it conditioned? Is it worn into use? Are we okay? Is it, ga- is it game ready? Right. So. Yeah. Let's go down the line. You're a lot bigger on Justin Herbert. You, Mr. Pac-12 man. You're a lot bigger on him than I am. He goes at six. It was kind of funny the way that the Dolphins-Chargers thing worked out. The rumors of one of them maybe trading up to get one of the guys because they were – but it seemed like both of them were just like, we're going to kick back and chill, and we're just going to take whichever one's there because we don't think anybody above us is going to take anybody. So the Dolphins end up getting Tua, and the Chargers get, end up getting Herbert. Uh, how would you feel about that pick? Yeah, I mean, I I thought that was the pick they were going to go with. That that was the sort of projection for a long time. I thought that was the right choice. They claim claim that they're in love with Tyrod Taylor. And look, that might be one of those other situations. Justin Herbert 
there's some anticipation and accurate, well, more anticipation issues than accuracy issues, but there's some anticipation issues with him when he's throwing the football that I could see you would want to hold off a little bit and, again, not throw him to the fire right away. But he's one of those very studious, intelligent guys that you give him six, eight games to learn to ease his way in. I think uh, some good things can happen. By the way, the pressure for him in L.A., counter to what we think about large market teams, it's much, much different even than the pressure is going to be on Tua. And certainly the pressure is going to be on Joe Burrow because he's playing for the Chargers, who are like the 10th most relevant team in L.A. sports. So he's going to get his time to grow. Tua, people want him on the field, and they want him performing at a high level now. Same thing with Joe Burrow. Justin Herbert, he's in a perfect situation because he can kind of sit back and even if he struggles early, no one's going to be calling for his head because they just don't care enough about the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, they care more about college football than they do about pro football. And then when it comes to pro football, they care a whole hell of a lot more about the Rams than they do about the Chargers. And yeah. a new stadium or not, um, I'm with you. There's not a lot of pressure there. There's not a lot of pressure to rush him in there. And, yeah, he does seem like a guy – that's going to need a year, and you know maybe they can see what they have with Tyrod Taylor or whatever, and just groom him along. I I, I do think it was the smart pick for them, uh, and it made a lot of sense. So uh, yeah. we'll see. I mean, he he definitely, like you said, the flaws in his game are not things that you're born with. It's it's things that he can improve on. It's right. decision making. It's instinct. It's you know whatever leadership. If you want to throw that in there. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was the logical pick. I wasn't surprised there. The next pick, OC, Derek Brown, defensive tackle out of Auburn to the Panthers. I'm surprised. We talked about Isaiah Simmons going as high as three or four. I thought with Keekley retiring, which, by the way, went totally under the radar. Like, there's weird stuff with this with this Rona where, where stuff just gets swept under the rug that would normally get highlighted big time. I had, I, I, that was like, I, I was shocked when I learned that. I think I found out maybe a few days after, but that would have been major news usually. Um, but I would have thought that the Panthers would have taken Simmons, not as a replacement for Keekley, but somebody in that general vicinity. They went Derek Brown and then Isaiah Simmons goes to the Cardinals, the pick after. Yeah. That, by the way, for the Cardinals, that's fantastic. They're a team. Not the same coaches and coordinators, but they're a team that in the past has used guys that have like that defensive versatility, the, the Dale Buchanan kind of thing. So you're going to see him lining up in a lot of different places. They had a kid a few years ago, uh, Alani Fua, that they did this with. Like the the Cardinals, they got just a Cadillac of a Swiss Army knife player, and going to be exciting which to watch. You, which you wouldn't have thought with Kingsbury because they seem to be so offensive oriented. You would have thought, but I mean, they did trade for Hopkins in the off season. Maybe they felt like they addressed the offense there. I, I, I was surprised that they did it, but I'm, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm thrilled. Yeah, and Derek Brown to the to the Panthers. That's another one that was projected for a long time. And look, they've had some success drafting the big interior defensive lineman. Kwan Short was good for them. Starlo to Lale was good for them. And Derek Brown is the best pass-rushing interior defensive lineman that's come out of college football in a long time. He had more sacks in his college career than, like, Geno Atkins did, than all of these really good NFL players. He's he's a beast when it comes to interior pressure, and that wasn't really even a, a conversation or a concern five years ago. But now that the Aaron Donalds have sort of, like, 
interrupted what our expectations are of interior yeah. defensive linemen. Yeah. Derek Brown is a guy that's excellent at getting his hand in the passing lane. He's excellent stopping the run, and he actually creates good interior pressure to either get a sack himself or collapse a pocket and get a quarterback on the run. So, a uh, good pick. You know, he's he's a, a beast of a man. He's a elite athlete, and you know the 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 comparisons for him. It's like, all right, well, do we want to say that he is like um, like an Aaron Donald? Probably not. But if he's a Haloti Nata, oh, okay, I'll take that. You're totally right about Donald because too often people want to talk about this is making me sound old, but like the Alden Smiths or you know whatever the Khalil Max, the edge you know the edge rushers. But I feel like Donald has kind of put those guys that. It's not sexy because they're not getting the sacks or whatever, but there is a lot to be said for your defense when you can plug the run. I mean, you know, they also wreck havoc on the passing. It's just not – it's it's more of consuming the offensive line, which doesn't really show up on the stat sheet or doesn't come up on the highlight reel on SportsCenter. But those guys are equally as important. I just thought with, with Keekley retiring, I would have thought Simmons would have been a better pick over Brown there – specifically for the Panthers. Well, and that's the thing is, uh, you know, Luke Keekley is that super, you know, he was a, a prototypical, super traditional sideline to sideline linebacker. And yeah. we don't know if that's what Simmons' use is going to be. You know, but maybe, maybe Carolina saw him and were just like, ah, he's, he's super fast. He's long and lean. We'd rather have him as an edge rusher. And they didn't yeah. view him the way that they viewed Luke Keekley. And there's, there's good linebackers in this draft. The Bond kid from from Wisconsin is going to be one of these guys. Uh, Kenneth Murray, who got taken by Oklahoma. Patrick Queen, who got taken. Those guys fit more of that Keekly role as a linebacker than Isaiah Simmons did. So I, they would have been, I think, done a great job to draft him there. But I also understand why they took Derek Brown. So let's skip past um, C.J. Henderson to the Jags, um, Willis to the Browns. Uh, Beckton to the Jets. I was surprised the Jets didn't take a wideout. Let's go to the Raiders at 12, who picked uh, Henry Ruggs the third out of Alabama. What do you think about that pick? Look, that is uh, – it's funny because I think it's not a bad pick, but it's also, uh, you know, after we've gotten out of this this Raiders obsession with the fastest guy in the draft, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's a throwback to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the fastest guy in the draft. This is they channeled dude. their they channeled their inner Al Davis. They did. And look, he, this is not Darius Hayward Bay, but he was not on a lot of people's boards the top wideout in this draft. There were people that had him as the fourth or fifth best wideout in the draft. Really? I yeah. thought he was cons- I thought he was consensus top three with uh, with Judy and Lamb. There are people that like Jefferson better, which I think made sense. Um, and look, he's, he's an excellent player and he's going to be good for the Raiders because they like to throw slants and he can take a slant to the house. Well, yeah. this is a, this is a counter move to them knowing that the Chiefs are in their division. All right. And knowing that they have, this is their Tyreek Hill. This is their Tyreek Hill. This is a guy that you just get the ball in his hands and you see how fast he can go because that's, there's only one receiver like that in the draft this year, and the Raiders decided they wanted to pick him. So I don't hate the I don't hate the pick, but it is sort of like a comical throwback to the Al Davis era. He's a good player. It's not a bad pick at all, um, but it's it's I, clearly I was, based on his speed. I, look, Derek Carr after the Antonio Brown stuff last year, Derek Carr needed weapons. 
I was happy with them getting any of the wideouts. I don't really care. I don't know about the fit or the size or whether or not they're a possession or a speed guy or they can go up and get it or whatever. Derek Carr just needed a wide receiver. So I was happy with the Raiders doing that. Then the Niners after that, uh, I don't know how this happens. And maybe you can explain this to me because you're more of a college guy than I am. So maybe you can explain the draft a little bit better to me. I don't understand this trading one spot. So Tampa Bay trades with the Niners. I think they gave them a fourth and yeah. they trade one spot up. Like, did they think that the Niners were going to, was going to take their pick? Like, why would you do that swap? Anyways, the Bucks and the Niners swap 13 and 14. Um, and the Bucks take a tackle out of Iowa worse. And then the Niners take, uh, Kinlaw defensive tackle out of South Carolina, uh, maybe to hopefully replace Buckner. Yeah. Which I think the Niners maybe would have been better served to draft uh, an offensive weapon here, right? To replace Sanders. You could have got CeeDee Lamb. You could have got Judy. Jerry Judy. Yeah. Um, But they decided to get to add to a position of strength. And it's one of those things where you can kind of understand why a defensive-minded guy like John Lynch would say, I do not want to fix a broke system. I have a deep formidable defensive front that I'm just I just now lost like a big part of let's draft someone to replace him and he will not I don't think Javon Kinlaw will be a day one starter but he's going to be in that rotation immediately and he's a guy that in two or three years might emerge as one of the best defensive linemen in the entire NFL so I get it you don't you don't want to have to be you know, waiting for your defensive front to fall off and then replace someone with a young guy. You're waiting while you're still strong there, and you're adding him to a, a, a group full of sharks, and he's going to have to elevate his play if he's going to even want to be able to hang with those guys. So it made sense in that regard. And I have, uh, you know, I've got a couple of text threads, mainly two, uh, an older group of buddies and then a group of buddies that are my age. But, you know, the majority of them are either Raiders or Niners fans. Um, and I have a buddy that just said, look, we have Shanahan and Shanahan. And I know I touched on this yesterday, but he creates his own offense when it comes to shifting and they've got Kittle in the running game or whatever. So his whole thing was just keep re-upping on the defense. I mean, they face the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. They're going to probably have to play the Saints down the line. They got the Seahawks and the Rams in their own division. His whole thing is Shanahan's going to handle the offense. I'm not worried about it. So just keep re-upping on the defense. Make your defense, you know, just suffocating. So he was ha- he actually picked the guy, the guy that I'm talking about. He picked that guy before the draft started. That's who he wanted. So, um, you know, there's there's different ways that you can look at it. But I think ultimately Niners fans feel comfortable with Shanahan and the offense and him being an offensive genius who was up 28 to 3 in the Super Bowl and then totally blew it to Tom Brady and not that I'm bitter about that cuz it's not like I hate Tom Brady or anything um but they're comfortable with him with handling the offense so they didn't necessarily think that they needed to get a wide out to replace Sanders in the first round they were happy getting a, well, the, a, a defensive stalwart yeah yeah and by the way to answer your first question that you just kept talking and never let me answer the uh, the Niners manipulated Tampa Bay's fear that the Niners were going to try and draft someone to replace Joe Staley. So they ah. they said, oh, yeah, we're going to take Werfs. And Tampa Bay was like, no, we want that guy. So that's how you think that's how you think it went down. 
Yeah, because like you said, why else would you move up one pick? The only reason you move up one pick is if you think the 49ers in front of you are going to take the exact guy that you want. Otherwise, there's no value in moving up one pick. Fair enough. I liked everything about your answer other than you saying that I didn't let you answer. <laughs> I did let you answer. I just wanted to interject about the defense versus the offense. So you're saying that the Niners were like, were down. So you think they were going to take worse and replace Staley? And no. they said, I don't think that the Niners ever planned on doing that, but I think the Niners conveyed that to Tampa Bay, and I think Tampa Bay had that fear. The gotcha. Niners probably knew how in love Tampa Bay was with Werfs, and they said, hey, if you want this guy, you better give us a pick. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the Niners, even I mean, maybe they weren't even thinking about taking him at all, or they said we were going to take him to replace Staley, but we're down with getting a fourth and taking Kinlaw as opposed to not having the fourth and taking worse. Who knows? And, you know, I think the 49ers all along probably planned on moving back into the first round again or at least moving up from their 31, which they eventually did, and they knew that having a fourth or whatever would help in that regard, right? Because they did move back up to 25 to take Brandon Ayuk, the the long-armed wide receiver from Arizona State, and apparently Kyle Shanahan's in love with this dude, so they got the guy that he, that they wanted, but they felt they had to move up out of 31 in order to get him. I don't know if I agree with that, but they're better at their jobs than I am. So um, it, it probably was you know, kind of an expensive move to get up six picks, but hopefully they got what, exactly what they needed and what they wanted. Yeah, and then at 15 in the AFC West, sticking with the wide receiver theme, the Broncos get Judy, a, yeah. um, a weapon for um, – God, what the hell's his name? I always want to call him Law. But it's not law. Lock. 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 He's more of a law guy. I like I like him as law, you know, like an old fashioned western, you know, Broncos, Denver. No. Uh, wh- what did you think about Judy, the guy that rocks the uh, the Jewish star around his neck because they call him Jew? Look, he's a good player, uh, and he's one of those guys who's not going to be system dependent. So wherever you put Jerry Judy, wherever he lands. You just get to throw him the ball, and he's going to make plays for you. So if I'm if I'm Drew Locke, I'm thrilled about having another guy like this on the roster. I know that my team is drafting to support my abilities, so I think that's a big deal. And I think that uh, he's going to be a great player in the NFL. Jerry Judy is uh, – there's really nothing left to be desired from him as a wide receiver. Same thing could be said of C.D. Lamb. Um, so you couldn't have gone wrong with either of these picks. I think it was good. Well, I was gonna skip. Uh, I was gonna skip AJ uh, Terrell to the Falcons and then go to CD Lamb as uh, Jerry Jones made his pick, which seemed like he didn't. He didn't. He didn't have any meetings with anybody. He was gonna pick whoever the hell he wanted. I was surprised that they went wide receiver based on the fact that they brought back Amari Cooper. So I didn't think they were gonna go wide out here. They have a lot of needs to fill. I didn't think wide receiver was at the top of the list. What'd you make of that pick? Well, again, it's. You're you're talking about what do you want to do with your offense. And in the NFL right now, what everyone wants to do with their offense is pass the ball and get the ball out and be high-flying and put up production. And they've got the quarterback, right? They have uh, everything you need from the running back position. You've got a clear number one in Amari Cooper, but who else? Who else is your big pass-catching threat? They have the uh, Gallup, the rookie from last year. Yeah, you've got Michael Gallup, right? And yeah. so 
great teams in the NFL right now have more than one serious pass receiving threat. That's true. Gallup, if, if you think Gallup is on on the level that you need to be a Super Bowl contender, I do. Sure. Okay. I, do. I think he's going to have a breakout superstar season next year. They have an excellent offensive line. They have an yeah. excellent running back. Yeah. They've got a good quarterback. And now they, lo- they lost a lot of defensive pieces. They lost their star cornerback to Miami. They, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think when you take a look at your roster, you can make the argument for best available player, and maybe that's what they thought. I think Jerry is just – look, he hasn't won since he thought Jimmy Johnson was getting too much credit for their Super Bowls. He hasn't – well, he won one basically with that same squad with Barry Switzer. But other than that, he hasn't won. And I think Jerry is a kid – in a whatever, what is he? 150 years old body, yeah. and I think he just, I think he saw, I think he saw the shiny little toy of CD Lamb, and he took him. And I, I, I just, I'm, look, it may pay pay dividends, and maybe Dak Prescott will go crazy, and their offense will be bananas. But I think if you look at the Dallas roster, there's other places where they could have gone. I don't disagree, but I also think that when you're talking about the most recent success of like. The Chiefs are the prime example, right? Everyone just wants to have crazy offensive numbers and crazy offensive production. Yeah, and yeah. Defense wins championship things. It's not like that's an old adage that no one really believes anymore. So if you, if you have a great defense, you're not going to win a Super Bowl. If you have a great offense and an okay defense, you might. So I, I probably would have gone corner here, especially in a corner-rich draft. But he went with CeeDee Lamb, and he gets to play with his toys the way he wants to. Well, speaking of which, uh, we'll skip over Austin Jackson from USC, uh, who actually has a great story. Um, he was a donor to his sister, but uh, he went to the Dolphins at 18. And then 19, speaking of the cornerbacks, uh, Damon Arnett out of Ohio State. What do you know about him, and what do you think about the pick for the Raiders? I think it was a reach because, look, he's a good player, but he was the number two guy. He was completely overshadowed by Jeffrey Okuda for most of the year. Uh, teams went at him a lot more because Okuda was locking things down on uh-huh. the other side. And again, good player. I would not have made him. Um, I actually wouldn't have made A.J. Terrell the third corner picked, and I wouldn't have made Damon Arnett the fourth corner picked. I think that you could have done better uh, with you know, maybe Christian Fulton. Obviously, I'm biased towards the kid from Utah. But, um, yeah, the Raiders – Whatever, it's their pick. I wouldn't have gone with Damon Arnett, even though he's good. Maybe he'll be exactly what they're hoping for, but uh, he's uh, he was a reach here. No one else was going to take him. So you didn't like it? I didn't like it. Did you not like the, the, the position that they chose or the person that they chose? No, the person that they chose. If you want to go – look, it's never a bad idea to go uh, make your, your passing defense better. If you want to go cornerback, fine. But do you go with the guy that is sort of your flavor, your taste? You just like him because you're Mike Mayock and John Gruden and you think you're smarter than everyone else? Or do you go with the guy that everyone knows is one of the top flight players at the position? Uh, you could have got Damon Arnett probably in the mid-second round, and you made him a first-round draft pick. Fair enough. Um, unless you have anything in between that Raiders pick and – uh, well, I guess we can go with the Niners pick, the kid out of Arizona State. You're a Pac-12 like guy. Is he a stud? Yeah, he's a stud. He's got, by the way, you're going to hear about this. Every time he's mentioned for the next two years, you're going to hear about how long his arms are. Okay? 
You know, like everyone talks about how giant Kawhi Leonard's hands are? Yeah. He has an 82-inch wingspan, and he's only six feet tall. Wow. Yeah. Freakishly long arms, which is great because he can catch the ball. It increases his catch radius, as they say, and he doesn't mind catching the ball away from his body. He's not one of the dudes who looks it into his chest. Like, he'll go up and get stuff, uh, good speed, good everything, and more importantly, Shanahan thought he was a perfect fit for what he wants to do offensively, and that's why they moved up again to draft him. I don't know if I would have given away two picks in addition to my 31 spot to do it, but that's that was the asking price, and they got the player they wanted, so more power to the Niners. Yeah, and then the pick of the draft, I would say, OC. Uh, I think we buried the lead a little bit. We could have led with this. This is what's getting the most amount of attention. It was the biggest shocker, I think. The Packers, who have not, since drafting Aaron Rodgers, they have not taken one offensive weapon in the first round in however many years he's been in Green Bay. They have not taken one offensive weapon in the first round. The Green Bay Packers select Jordan Love, who you were not huge on, out of Utah State at 26. Yeah. Um, The reason why... Hang on, and trade it up to do it. Go ahead. Yeah, the reason why this is, look, Jordan Love at 26, Jordan Love at the back end of the first round is, you know, it's that coin flip pick that's either going to be, he's going to work out, he's going to be 2018 Jordan Love in the NFL, or he's going to be on the the flip side of the coin, he's going to be 2019 Jordan Love, and he's going to be a career backup, and we're never going to hear from him. Anyone else making this pick, it's not newsworthy. It's just like, okay, we'll see what they do with Jordan Love. But the fact that the Green Bay Packers have decided to already start planning for their future instead of reinvesting in Aaron Rodgers' offense with a first-round draft pick, that's problematic to me. We spent all last season talking about whether or not he and his coach got along, and yet they still made it to the NFC Championship game. He still has his fastball, Aaron Rodgers does, and you're not reloading and giving him more weapons? You're not trying to bolster the offense captained by one of the best quarterbacks ever to do it. Tom Brady gets a fresh start with crazy personnel in Tampa Bay. He's 42 years old. The Saints are still investing in Drew Brees at 41. And the Packers are ready to start turning the page on Aaron Rodgers when he's six years younger than Tom Brady. This is going to create problems. And I know that he's a professional, and I know that he's a guy that just goes about his business, but this is going to create problems, not because he's going to be a dick to Jordan Love. He probably will, but that's not why it'll be problematic, but because he's going to show up in that quarterback room every day, and he's going to look and be like, instead of giving me another threat or someone to protect me, they drafted my replacement. Oh, man. Um, This is not good sports radio and but i'm honest like i'd rather be honest than than fake one way or the other i am legitimately torn on this decision and part of me sees why look aaron Rodgers has said himself that he's in you know whatever the back nine of his career or however he phrased it um and so you have to plan for the future And if you think Jordan Love, I know you and I talked about it yesterday, you're not nearly as high on him 
And I'm not really that high on him either. I just know that some people say that he has the potential to be a Patrick Mahomes type if everything goes well. So if you see that opportunity. By the way, that is such a reach. They're not the same player, but keep going. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, obviously not. I don't think anybody's going to be Patrick Mahomes. Um, But if he can even scratch the surface of Patrick Mahomes and you're the Packers, you do have to factor in for the future. That being said, you have arguably the best quarterback in the league on your roster right now who still has, let's say, two to four years left in the tank. Two years minimum, four years maximum. Or not maximum, whatever. Maybe it's six years maximum, whatever. Somewhere in that, in, in that, in that, in that range. So I'm torn between, do you get the guy a weapon right now and try to win the Super Bowl? Hell, he got the Packers to the NFC championship basically by himself. Right. So if he's that damn good, you should be playing for now. That being said, I also understand Thinking about the future. So as horrible as it is, I don't have a hard stance on this. I'm not completely anti it, and I'm not completely pro it. And I know that's bad sports radio, but that's just where I'm at. Like I can, I can see, I can see both sides. Planning for three years down the line. Is it safe to say that this would be a three years down the line move for the Packers? Yes. That's a dumb thing to do in today's NFL. Yeah, I mean, unless they're planning on trading Rodgers. The best thing that can happen here, Jordan Love gets to fill in for Aaron Rodgers for six games and wins four or five of those games and then ends up being a hot trade commodity further down the line, a la Matt Castle, Matt Flynn, Nick Foles kind of a thing, all right, where you're the backup and everyone falls in love with you because you came in and you proved that you can win some games and then – you cash that in, and the and the Packers can trade him and cash that in. A Jimmy Garoppolo. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're saying that's the best case scenario? That's the best case scenario. I don't think that that's. I don't think that that was their line of thinking when they drafted. Well, of course, that's not their line of thinking. Their line of thinking is, well, this is exactly what we did with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. And we're going to capture that lightning in a bottle twice. Exactly. It doesn't go down like that in the real world. <laughs> Green Bay doesn't have this magic formula where they're just like, well, here's what we do. We just draft a guy uh, down in the 20s, and then we sit him for two years behind an all-time great, and then he becomes an all-time great. That's just, (laughs) okay, you want to gamble on that twice? Fine. But I I don't know. To me, first of all, the personalities between Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre are different enough that this is a different scenario for sure. Not really. They're both petty as hell. (laughs) <laughs> well, they are both petty. Look, Aaron Rodgers is not it's not his job to groom Jordan Love. And Jordan Love needs grooming. So what this is is Matt LaFleur saying Well hang on, hang on. Brett Favre didn't groom Aaron Rodgers. He fought that tooth and nail. Right, but Aaron Rodgers didn't need grooming the same way that Jordan Love does. That's a good point. Aaron Rodgers was the projected number one overall pick that happened to slide all the way down to the That's end of the absolutely first right. Round. Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers very well could have been the number one overall pick and been a day one starter, and he might have had the Peyton Manning trajectory where he was bad and then got the talent around him that he needed and ended up still being the same player. Who knows? But Jordan Love, like trying to draw the equivalent, if this is what the Packers' logic is, like 
this is the same thing we're going through. You're not drafting the same player. Jordan Love is the fourth or fifth best QB in this draft. He's not the, the best QB in the draft. And it means he, he, he led all FBS quarterbacks with 17 interceptions uh, despite playing in the Mountain West Conference. Rodgers only threw a total of 13 interceptions in both of his seasons at Cal. Right. And, and, and the fact that they traded up, that was the most bizarre part. They had the 30th pick. But they gave up a fourth rounder to bypass the Dolphins, who had already drafted Tua, and then the Seahawks, who have Russell Wilson, weren't going to take him. The Ravens, who have MVP Lamar Jackson, weren't going to take him. And then the Titans, who just gave a huge extension to Ryan Tannehill. Those were the teams that they leapfrogged to get him. So it made no sense to trade up for him to make it even worse. They must have thought that Tennessee had some eyes for Jordan Love. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me either. But look, I I don't like the move. Um, because it puts Jordan Love in a rough situation where he has to try and maximize his growth potential behind someone. But Rogers had this. Rogers had the same situation. But again, it's not the same situation because Rogers was ready to play now. Jordan Love is not ready to play, and maybe but, that's why. Maybe but that's Rogers, why. But Rogers didn't play right away. So maybe that's why this is perfect. Maybe I'm contradicting myself here. And the reason that this is perfect is because Jordan, Jordan Love doesn't have to play for another two or three seasons. And yeah. he's just, gonna, he's just going to be that, the young puppy that the, the mean old dog barks at every day. Yeah. But when it's his turn, maybe he'll be ready. But this is, I mean, this is Green Bay basically believing Matt LaFleur. And when he says, I can turn this kid into the next Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay saying, okay, well, we want that in two or three years. We believe you, Matt LaFleur. And that feels like a gamble to me. The biggest thing is that they're sacrificing the present for the future because Aaron Rodgers, again, I can't stress this enough. I don't know how much Green Bay Packer football you watched. I watched a ton because I had a bunch of Packers on my fantasy team. So I was pretty much glued to a lot of their games. That team had no business being in the NFC Championship. Imagine game. if you're if you're Aaron Rodgers, you, you're so upset about this. But imagine being Devontae Adams. You're just like, cool. I gotta I gotta basically be our whole entire passing again next year. Again, yeah, again. I mean, he, maybe he loves that because you know he gets he gets more numbers. <laughs> no, Jeez. no. Yeah, I mean, if if your focus is on winning, and yeah, wide receivers are usually more about them than the team. But no, I mean, they had no business being in the NFC Championship game, and it was proven in that game. The Niners blew their doors off, but Rodgers got him there. Rodgers not only got him the bye, he won the 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 second round game or whatever you call it, their first game, but the second round of the playoffs, and then they went up against the Niners, who were an actual Super Bowl contender, and you saw just how bad the Packers actually are. The Packers had no business being in the NFC Championship game, and they should have gotten him. I mean, look, again, I can see both sides, because if you're a Packers fan, you're looking at Rodgers, and he's what? He's my age. He's like 36? Yeah, he is. He'll be 37 this year. So, I mean, I get it. If you think that love can be the heir apparent, and again, I, I know what you're saying. It's very rare, their situation that they have with Rodgers coming after Favre, and it's probably even going to be more rare if they have love coming in after Rodgers and it's just another smoothless transition like Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. I, I, I get it that it's probably odds are that it's not going to be that, but I can still understand why they did it while also not being able to wrap my head around not getting Rodgers more help when he is in win-now mode and he's got two to three more years left. 
The um, Tom Brady was 36 years old when the New England Patriots drafted Jimmy Garoppolo to be his his eventual replacement. Yeah. Right. And we saw, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work out that way every time, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah. the Patriots, and again, this goes back to my scenario. The Patriots got some value out of this, right? They showed everyone, wow, look, our backup quarterback can be your starter. And the 49ers were like, yeah, we want that guy. So maybe that's what happens with the Packers and Jordan Love. I just don't, I don't understand. I, I mean, I understood why the Packers did this when Brett Favre, who'd been smashed and trashed and beaten to hell over the course of his career, and it started to tell the team, yeah, you know, I might play one more year, why they drafted Aaron Rodgers as the as the replacement for Favre, but you're getting different messages from Aaron Rodgers about how long he wants to play than you got from Favre, and the NFL is different. Aaron Rodgers hasn't taken nearly the abuse. That's why guys like Breeze and Brady and Peyton Manning are playing to – you know, the doorstep and beyond of 40, which means Aaron Rodgers still has plenty of production in him. The present, like you're saying, should not be sacrificed for the future. And this is a team at present who really needed a wide receiver, really needed a tight end, but you're probably not going to get a good one at the, in the first round of this draft. So what do you do? You trade back to where you can get uh, a better you know, value for a tight end, stockpile some more offensive talent, or you get a wide receiver here. You don't draft Jordan Love. And I hate saying that because I want the kid to be successful, Utah State guy, but it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. What did you make of um, Bill Belichick trading out of the first round? I think everybody was pretty locked in on what they were going to do when they end up trading out. That's the formula, man. He's been doing that for years. Well, what the hell is he going to do at quarterback? Jared Stidham. Or, think maybe, he's... Or, may, or, or maybe Bill Belichick is enough of a genius that he's like, you know who my guy is? Jalen Hurts, and I'm going to be able to draft him in the third round, and I don't need, like, if you think that Green Bay is sitting there going, we know how to do this, and that's why they drafted Jordan Love, Bill Belichick might have in his mind, like, well, I got that Tom Brady guy way down the draft, so I can find another one. I don't have to get him in the first. All right, so real quickly here, before we get to recommendations for stuff for people to watch, Best available right now. I'm looking, and I was hoping, again, not that I care about any particular franchise in the NFL, but when the Dolphins picked towards the end of the draft, they traded down. Uh, I was hoping they were going to get either DeAndre Swift or Xavier McKinney or the guy that I said was going to be a sleeper, uh, Grant Delpit out of LSU. Best available right now. Uh, who are you looking at? Xavier McKinney and Winfield are probably my two players. The Antoine Winfield Jr. or the third, the uh, the Minnesota safety. Love both of those guys. So best available would probably be one of those two. I still like the idea of LaVisca Chenault somewhere. He's got a lot of versatility. He can be a Christian McCaffrey type player for a team if they want to use him that way. Um, but yeah, there's still lots and lots and lots of value left in this draft. Jalen Johnson, the Utah corner, could have been a first-round guy, probably should have been a first-round guy. He is going to be playing now with a chip on his shoulder because he really believed he was a first-rounder, and he's probably going to end up in the first top ten picks here on day two. All right, well, let's get to uh, recommendations for uh, stuff for people to watch. You want me to go yeah. first or you yeah. got something? No, no, go first. I'm going Waco. OC, 
I'm, I'm not sure what kind of memory you have of Waco, Texas, and uh, that whole story about the cult and the you know the guy running it, and he had this whole compound of about. I, th- I think I looked it up because two things you need to know about me. Number one, if it's based on a true story, I'm pretty much like a hundred percent in. It doesn't matter what it is. Like history was always my favorite subject in school because it was based on stuff that actually happened. So I yeah. love I love nonfiction accounts, whether it's a book or a movie or whatever. So this was, a, and I remember this being a. It wasn't traumatizing for me, but I can tell you specifically where I was when I saw it on the news. And then I remember I went to the dentist and there was like a Time magazine and there was a feature on it and I was reading about it. It freaked me out. It was a pretty freaky thing. And there's a uh, a Netflix thing on it and it's like, I think, seven episodes. And it's not like a, it's not a, uh, a documentary because they didn't actually have cameras in there and stuff. Actually, they did, but that's not what it is. It's a it's a reenactment of it. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah. they try Taylor, to stay. Taylor Kitsch plays uh, plays uh, David Koresh. Yeah, it's a uh, it's good. It's a good little miniseries. You've seen it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, anyways, I loved it. Um, I just I remember it as a kid. It's based on a true story. It's pretty crazy. So dark. what I do? It's really dark. It's it's. Pretty dark, yeah, but not like, I mean, I'm pretty much a wuss, and I wasn't totally freaked out by it, so I don't think it's that dark. Um, but what I like to do after I watch something based on a true story is Wikipedia it. And so I looked it up. I couldn't believe it. First of all, I didn't realize how many people, well, spoiler alert, whatever. Um, it, it, happened, it happened 27 years ago. Yeah, no, I, know, <laughs> okay. I, know, I know. But I, I guess spoiler, I'll just spoiler say. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, the Nazis lose World War II. <laughs> Hey, don't ruin it for everybody. Um, I didn't realize how many people died in that whole thing. I didn't realize I didn't realize the way that it went down. I kind of just remember some loon was running a cult and the police got involved and there was a fire and I thought people like I thought way more people got out. I thought there was way less casualties, but um, it's a fantastic series. I I binge watched it. I usually am pretty good about being able to uh, ration things out, but I. I, I blew through this. Uh, I thought it was amazing. That would be my recommendation. Um, what do you got? I'm going to piggyback on that just very briefly. And the, the dramatized miniseries is good. They also release concurrent with that um, some documentaries that, that tell like the real stories of people who were there. Really? Um, yeah. Some of the characters that are in the, uh, the miniseries participated in, in a documentary that kind of like got released around the same time. And huh. uh, this is a spoiler, but at one of, at the end of one of those documentaries, so the whole thing with this cult, right, is that all the followers who were there, they believed that David Koresh was some kind of Messiah figure, that he yeah. was like... He was sent mess- from Jesus to open up the right. seven seals or whatever. Right. So pretty intense stuff. And, you know, they go through this whole like real life documentary, not the miniseries. They go through this whole real life documentary and they're talking to these people and you're getting their testimonials. And so you're watching these people for like 90 minutes and you're just like, oh, man, amazing. They escaped with their lives and all this good stuff. And then one of the final shots of the documentary, they're talking to one of them and they're just like they ask the question like, "What, what, what, you know, do you still believe David Koresh was, you know, the Messiah? 
and this person says, oh, yeah, I'm going to see him again. He's going to return. And you're just like, whoa. Wow. It just blows your mind. So wow. watch the miniseries, but also watch watch the documentaries that go along with it. This and was one of the guys this was one of the guys that got out? Yeah, he was in there and he got out, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, cause cause they negotiate, they have like negotiators and stuff like that. I couldn't believe the number OC. I was I, it, it was staggering to me. He had over a hundred people in there. Yeah. And I love all these people. And I know you're in Utah. I'm not trying to throw any shade towards Mormons or anything like that. But I love these people that create these things. And it's always like I'm allowed to like in 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 Mormon's case, you, in the beginning, you were allowed to have a bunch of wives or whatever. And then in his scenario, he had married men in there that he would not allow to have sex with their wives. But he was having sex with them. And he claimed it wasn't because it was all for, you know, shits and giggles. It was because. You know, he was creating these people that were going to change the earth later or whatever. But basically, he was the only one that was allowed to have sex in there. I love how they come up with those those rules. Hey, like, that's... yeah, hey, this is how it goes. I'm allowed to bang. You guys know not so much. That's like the number one way you know you're in a cult, right? Is if the leader is just like, here's the deal. Small, might be a deal breaker. Just a little hitch here. I'm the only one who gets to have sex with your wife. Like, at that point, I'm out. You know, you can you can spread you can spread any message of love and charity and peace and happiness and whatever you want. But if but if you if I show up and they're just like, hey man, you know, we're gonna give you this beautiful suite. Here's a hot tub for you. You drive this car. Happiness. You got this beautiful view. There's horses. Everybody, it's you this warm environment. We're, you're gonna shoot these guns every day. Uh, we got a water slide. Everything is great. It's all you can eat buffet 24 hours a day. Rainbow full of Skittles. Yeah. But 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 just just one one more thing. One thing. One thing. I I want you to sign on that dotted line. But just one more thing. So your wife, who you already have children, who you already have children with, by the way, your wife is now one of my concubines, and you can't touch her. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All yeah. right. Cool. Yeah. Like, no, how do you... no, 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 no. Yeah, that's where I cut it off right there. Yeah, so wait, wait, wait. So you're gonna bang my wife and I'm not. Yeah, that's gonna be a deal breaker. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, up until this moment, I actually liked you, buddy. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything sounded great. Everything sounded great until you threw that in there. Like, like, and it's every single damn cult, every single one of them. That's the rule. Ugh. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Do you have a wreck? I got I got one. Uh, Hunting Hitler. It's a uh, documentary series. It gets don't watch season like 3, but watch season 1 and season 2 on History Channel or whatever app you have that still has History Channel stuff you can download. Go watch Hunting Hitler. It's fascinating. Is it uh is it like actual footage or is it what, a reenactment? What, what it is is it's um based on the the FBI declassified I think like 12 years ago or something, they declassified a bunch of documents that showed that the FBI was hunting for Adolf Hitler in South America in the 50s and 60s. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Go watch it. It's really fascinating. You got me there. Yeah, because, you know, there's there's a lot of mysterious stuff surrounding Adolf Hitler's supposed death in the Führerbunker and the fact that the Russians were the ones who found him, and then they just were like, "Oh, yep, those are the same teeth." Okay, he's that's him. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. 
Yeah. There's a lot of like urban legend and stuff about him being in Argentina up until, uh, you know, well after World War II was over. So go watch it. It's fascinating. And even if you just take it as like, hey, this is a fictional story, still fascinating. So Hunting Hitler, it's old. Um, it's, it's been out for a long time. It really jumps the shark after season two. It's like not worth watching after that, but about, you know, season one and at least half of season two, really good. Yeah, that's what you said about Ozark, though, so I'll probably watch it. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe I can only stand a season and a half. (laughs) Your attention span doesn't go further than that. All right, manana, manana, OC, we'll react to rounds two and three. And uh, at some point, we got to get into the the Jordan, the last dance. Yeah, we'll get to that. I mean, we got another episode coming up in a few days. So two episodes, three and four, three and four on Sunday. The Rodman part. Yeah, the show. Bye. All right, Pippin. Holla. All right, OC. Later.